I can tell you that one of the things that I like about uh, looking at 2 John for our time of in God's Word today is that um, it was very easy to choose the key passages because 2 John has just one chapter and 13 verses. So you might as well just read the whole thing uh, and, and nothing stands out maybe as, as more key than the others. So um, it would have been somewhat natural to combine 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John into just one sermon. Because they all are, are dealing with exactly the same issue, exactly the, addre- written to address exactly the same thing. They just take uh, each, each a little different uh, point of view or track on the same issue that John is addressing and the reasons why he wrote this. And so um, I decided instead to divide it into three sermons because the issue that John is dealing with I think is important enough to warrant spending three weeks on. And the reason for that is because the question he's addressing is when are your differences within the church strong enough to warrant separation? Strong enough to warrant uh, splitting a church? Obviously, that's a very touchy issue and, and, and very many different opinions around that. And, and I think it's worth spending some time to see how did John, in God's word, uh, address this issue? Because this is the issue these three letters um, have to do with. Uh, There was a crisis uh, in the church. It's not clearly defined in terms of where it was and who was defined. Uh, It's often considered that it was the the house church network in Ephesus, but we're not absolutely sure of that. But there was a recent crisis that caused John to write these three letters. And they could very well be put into one letter because they're they're addressing it from three points of view or, or three addressed to different people involved in this. So you'll see how that pans out a little bit later on. But I thought it would be helpful to have a physical illustration. And uh, so, so what I have here on the table is a pitcher full of coffee. And some of you like coffee. Most of you drink it once in a while. And, and so for those of you who don't like coffee, maybe this doesn't work very good. And some of you like cream in your coffee. And I don't know, maybe some of you don't, but, but the point of the illustration here is that we have a mixture. Now, I know it's just two items, coffee and cream, but it's a mixture, and it's, it's all mixed together, and it's, it, it just looks and acts and tastes like one thing. But there are two things in there, and that's a, a little bit like a church. A church is a mixture of people, a mixture of points of view, a mixture of, of even different beliefs uh, to at least some extent. And, and yet, it, when we fellowship together, when we love one another, as 1 John emphasizes again and again and again, uh, then, then we are one thing. And, and it's a thing that is warm, uh, that feels good, that gives us a bit of an uptick, uh, you know, an encouragement uh, in the church fellowship together. And so there are maybe uh, some, some kind of similarities we can make between a good pitcher or a good cup of coffee and a church. And so uh, we'll just uh, go with that for a bit. And now, before we get into 2 John, we need to to define the issue that is pointed out in the first book of John. 
And so I want to read here from uh, the first book of John, chapter 2, verse 18 to 23. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they, were never, but they never really belonged to with us. Otherwise, they ha- would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I am writing to you, not because you don't know what don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But everyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. We need to do a a little bit of decoding here to understand what's being said. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. But we need to to understand the context. Now, now the first context, the most important context here is the entire book of 1 John is, is referred to by us as the book of love. It's the book that describes God loves God's love. It's the book that describes our love for one another. And it's not incidental that as John is addressing a church split, that he emphasizes the need and the necessity of extraordinary love. And so we're not going to revisit 1 John because we're trying to look at 2 John here, but, but that's that we have to keep that surround everything we're thinking and saying here in this context with love as John does. Now, what he says here is that you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And, and that's a... Um, that, that's, I think that's a statement where he's, he's going to contradict what they've heard. They've heard something, they've heard rumors, and he's going to say, no, that's not exactly the right way to understand this. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming and, and has already appeared, and that means it's the last hour, but, he's, but John's going to tell you something a little bit different here. And what he's going to tell you is that, um, that anyone who says, let's go back to that screen. Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ does not teach the truth and is antithetical to Christ or the opposite of the true Christian message. This is the truth he's after. What does that mean? Well, when we say that Jesus is the Christ... In our English translations, the capital letter C, Christ, is how it is translated, the anointed one. And so that refers all the way back through the Old Testament, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of the King, the promise of the kingdom, going all the way back through to Genesis in the very beginning where, where God says that, that, that one would be born of the woman, that, would, that, that the Satan would, would, would bite the heel and, and he would crush the head. So the anointed one then is the true 
actual presence of God on earth. And he, he reiterates that with these statements. He says, he says, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father. The Father and the Son are the same thing. If you deny one, you deny the other. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So, so it's one God we're referring to here in, in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, the, it's the presence, the actual real presence of the eternal creator God on earth. That's what Jesus is. So some are teaching that Jesus is not God. That Jesus is not the Christ. So now, if we move in First John to chapter 4, we see another claim being made here. So let's just read that together. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. For such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. And so the key issue here is people are saying, people are teaching that Jesus did not come in a real body. And so as we we look at 1 John and the, the issue that John identifies that he's writing these letters about and to address is that some are teaching that Jesus is not the Christ, that he had a real body, but he wasn't actually God. And some are teaching that Jesus was not human. He didn't have a real body. He was God, but the human body was just an illusion uh, so that God could communicate with us or something along those lines. And so that's, that's the issue. That's what First, Second, and Third John are written about. The Antichrist is one who denies the truth about Jesus Christ. And so maybe that doesn't seem like such a big deal sometimes. And, um, and it's just like this, this cup here. It's clear. It looks pure. doesn't appear to be anything wrong with it. But it's something that cannot be added to the mixture. And maybe you'll see that as we go along. First John kind of identifies the problem and absolutely surrounds it in love. Reminding us again and again that as we deal with a sensitive issue like this, it has to be done in love. It has to be surrounded in love. Anything that's not motivated from love, anything that, that doesn't, uh, doesn't continue in love, uh, it's wrong. Nevertheless, this is a serious issue. Second John is written to a specific house church. 
And then, so the question there is, okay, the, the situation is defined in 1 John. So in 2 John, it's just a little bit of instruction. How do you deal with this situation in the context of a house church? And then 3 John is written to a specific person, a member of a church. So how do you deal with this situation as an individual? We'll look at that next week. But this week we want to look at a church. And so we can read the whole, cha- we can read the whole chapter uh, of, of 1 John. Uh, but before we do that, let's just summarize the message. In 2 John, God says, Reject all who reject my son. Let's read it. The first half of 2 John, chapters, uh, verses 1 to 7. There is only one chapter. This letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to you, I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and He has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Let's pause there halfway through 2 John and just make a few observations. The first one I would make is this phrase uh, at the beginning here. Uh, the chosen lady and to her children, who he's writing to. Uh, The context here is a network of house churches, probably in Ephesus, but perhaps somewhere else. And so we have to to understand that context or we're going to misapply what John is teaching in terms of our culture. And so the lady, the chosen lady. So we could think, there's a story we all are quite familiar with. Uh, when, when Paul came to, to and met uh, the Lydia and some other ladies on the shore washing the clothes and uh, washing the linens. And, and Lydia became a Christian. She became a Christ follower. And, and so then Paul went with her to her home and she gathered people. And so she was the chosen lady. And the people that came to know Jesus in that house were her spiritual children. And the New Testament is consistent in this kind of language. When, when, it talks about, um, when it talks about the people in the church, the Apostle Paul, for one, always refers to them as his children. So we're not talking here about uh, a, a biological family unit. We're talking about a spiritual family unit that meets in a home. So a church, much more uh, akin to our discipleship groups or even a Sunday school class than, than a Sunday morning service. So keep that in mind. It's really important or we'll misunderstand what's being said here. The children are church members and the chosen lady is the one perhaps in whose house they meet or even the leader of that church or that network of churches. Okay, so that's the first observation. Very important. The next one is the importance of truth here. And so... Um, 
And so uh, five times uh, the word truth is mentioned. It is really about truth. Live in the truth, according to the truth, and so on. And so, so what is the truth that he's referring to here? Well, he's referring to what we just looked at in 1 John, that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is a man. That's the truth. And he's encouraged that they're living according to the truth. And then again, we have the importance of love. The importance of love. And, uh, and this is just a summary statement that reminds us of all the things that were taught in 1 John. And so we, we do this according to love. Uh, that, that's so important. But then we come to the real crux of the matter. And that's this one here. There's people who have gone out and are now going from house church to house church and they're claiming to have a new revelation from the Spirit of God that's, and they're denying that Jesus came in a real body. And that's where, that's where John says you draw the line. You don't stop loving, but this is where you draw the line. If someone denies that Jesus was human, or someone denies that Jesus was God, that's where you draw the line. And we're going to see why in just a minute here. Reject all who reject my son. And let's go on uh, in Second John, verse 8. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you will receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has had no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink. For I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister, chosen by God. So here, here again, just a, just a, a couple of things to, to notice. Why is this the place where you would joy the, draw the line? Because a person who misses who Jesus is, God and man, has no relationship with God. This is an eternal life and death issue. You can have all kinds of diversion of ideas on all kinds of things and still be in heaven when Jesus returns. But if you deny who Jesus is, the truth about who Jesus is, God and man, You don't have a relationship with God. And if you allow that kind of teaching in your fellowship of Christians, it's going to cause division. It ought to cause division. You can't have, you can't mix those things together. You bring that into the church and it's going to divide. Or it should. He says it this way. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. And again, I emphasize, we're not talking here, let's just, let's just remember, we're talking here about 
participatory meetings or gatherings of believers. So if you read the New Testament and pay attention to every time something is described that happens when believers meet in Jesus' name, one thing that I think happens in the New Testament every time is they take the bread and they break it and say, this is the body of Christ. And they take the wine and they pass it around and say, this is the blood. It's an indication. This meeting, this gathering, is to declare Jesus, to remember Jesus. And then in those meetings, everyone participates according to their gifts. Everyone teaches one another. Everyone leads in worship with one another. Everyone prays with and for one another. Everyone encourages one another. And, and, and each one according to their gifts. And that's what's described in the New Testament as a church meeting. As a gathering, an intentional gathering of the believers. And so in these meetings, they didn't have the kind of separation that we have here in the church building. Here in the church building, we're careful about who we let teach in the pulpit. So if someone comes in and sits together with us in the church building that, that doesn't have the right understanding of Jesus Christ, that's fine. We're not giving them a platform to teach and influence. But in the context of a home Bible study where anyone can speak at any time, this is the, the place where you become careful. No, we don't let people talk and influence others in terms of who Jesus is. He is God. He is man. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is fully human. He suffered and was tempted in every way as we are. So in, the, in, a, in a Sunday morning service where things are kind of controlled, um, we don't have to necessarily discern that. We wouldn't let such a person be on our church board or maybe even a church member. And we're not talking here either about a family dinner like you're thinking about when you hear into your home. You're just thinking, well, does that mean if someone disagrees with me on who Jesus is, or someone who is an atheist or something, I can't even have over for dinner? No, it doesn't mean that because that's a different kind of meeting. You can have family members who, have, who, who aren't Christians who, who you would want to have in your home to meet together. But where do you draw the line? You draw the line on who is Jesus. That's the issue. We don't, in the context of discipleship, we don't let someone teach, officially teach in the church, that Jesus did not have a real body. Or that Jesus had a real body but was not actually God, the anointed one. We are not talking about confused people or people who maybe uh, haven't ever learned the truth or people who are struggling to understand and believe. We're not talking about those kind of people. What we have here is a situation, and we'll see this in 3 John, where there's traveling teachers who've gone out from this church split and now they're going to the different churches and they're claiming to be have apostolic authority and then they're teaching this lie this antithetical to Christ, this anti-Christ message. And so they're going to come. John's sending this letter to warn them. These people are going to come. They're going to try to come into your meeting and say they have authority. You know what? We, we have new teaching from the apostles, new teaching from the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and he's warning them to reject these people and their teaching. Obviously, these things are complicated. Um, it's hard to to anticipate all the things that you might think about as you as you read this or if or, sorry as you listen to this but 
But uh, that's basically what the message is. Reject all who reject my son, the true meaning of my son. We could put that a different way. We could, we could put it this way. Be careful with the word heretic. We use it too loosely. We call all kinds of people heretics or, or, people, or we exclude all kinds of people far too easily instead of loving them despite our differences. In fact, even, even the Apostle Paul uh, gives us a, an amazing example. There were people who were teaching the truth about Christ. In other words, they were getting this point right, but they were doing it with the purpose in mind, the motivation to hurt Paul. And he said, leave those people alone. Even if what they're doing is motivated to hurt me, they're teaching the truth about Jesus. And so I applaud that. If, if any, there, everywhere there was a case to exclude people, it would be the people who are trying to hurt you. But Paul says, no, don't exclude those people. They've got Jesus right. So, so that's okay. But we're not often like that. And, and you know, take, for example, this one. Um, the inevitable battle of forgive us our debts versus forgive us our trespasses. And it's kind of funny, we can laugh about it nowadays, but it was a serious issue. I remember when it was a serious issue in the church where churches split over which translation to use in the worship service. King James or, or NIV or, or some other ones. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. It's an ugly thing in the church when these things happen. But, but let's just think about, you know, I, I can share some examples that, that I've known uh, and then you could probably add your own. And, may, and, and so, um, so I already mentioned the King James uh, versus the NIV caused some churches to split. I know of a, uh, I know of a town that have, has first and second Baptist church on the same block in the same town. Yes, how did that happen? Why is there two churches? Why can't they just get along? Well, historically, I, I mean, they probably get along now because it's a long time ago, but historically, First Baptist Church was started first uh, in the pioneer days when there was hardly a town there, and uh, they baptized everyone in the river in town. And then many years later, uh, some people in First Baptist Church thought, well, you know, the river's kind of cold and, and the, the water flows strongly and, so, and we, we can't do baptisms all through the winter. So, so let's build a baptism tank in the church building so we can do baptisms in winter. And, we, and, and the purple, some people said, no way, there's no way you can do that. That's not a legitimate baptism because it has to be out in the public where anybody can see. And so some people split off from that church and built another Baptist church on the same block, called it Second Baptist Church, and they had a baptism tank inside the church. It doesn't really seem like they were having a controversy about who Jesus is. But they forgot about loving one another, despite differences. I know of another, another church, one of my best friend all the way back from high school, uh, his, his parents-in-law, had been going to a church for 30 years. Upstanding people, good members. Their character was on display for all. Raised a family there. But they were never allowed to teach a Sunday school class or even a women's Bible study because they were baptized the wrong way. Good for them for loving the church even though uh, they didn't allow them these things. But, but we, we get so tied up in these, in these little things. And I want to take a moment here to talk about the Evangelical Free Church of Canada, the association of churches that, 
that we belong to. This card is, is in the back by the bookshelf there that describes something that's important. And uh, we've had from the very beginning, from the inception of the Evangelical Free Church of America and of Canada, uh, this, this motto, this, this guiding statement, in essentials unity, in non-essentials charity, in all things Jesus Christ. Now we haven't always lived up to that, but that's always been the standard that we, we strive for in the Evangelical Free Church. It's one of the reasons I'm, I'm a pastor in this organization, because I absolutely believe that and want to belong to an organization that, that makes that priority. So how does that pan out? Well, for example, our statement of faith intentionally does not mention mode or age of baptism. It's not because we don't have convictions on that. I have my own convictions, but it's because we refuse to split over that which is maybe important, but not essential. Christ is essential. Getting Jesus Christ right is essential. We intentionally leave out the the whole controversy of the return of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus will return. Tribulation first, tribulation after, no tribulation. It's not stated in our statement of faith because we intentionally declare we will not split over non-essentials. Important, but not essential. And we could go on uh, in that. Our statement of faith is actually more important in terms of what it leaves out than what it puts in because we have decided to be a, a group of churches, an association of churches that focuses on Jesus Christ and tries our best not to fight about less essential issues. We're going to get into that uh, here before Christmas with membership classes uh, uh, according to our new constitution. So I hope you look forward to that. In 2 John, God says, Reject all who reject my son. Be careful about the, the things that you put in the category of essential. I can't fellowship with those people. And we've had a lot of time the last year and a half, two years, to wrestle with these issues. And, and I, I'm so proud to be part of this church because we've stuck together uh, and we haven't let it become like the, the vinegar in the coffee that separates us. It's, it's not always been easy, uh, but we've, we've done that. And so... Um, I want to just close with uh, one verse, 2 John, verse 5. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. Yes, there's a place where we draw the line. It's on the matter of who is Jesus Christ. Because that's the issue upon which our eternal destiny is decided. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? This is the good news. And this is where we do not compromise. But on other issues, we can disagree and still love one another and still fellowship together and still grow together and still learn from one another. I trust this is our experience and will continue to be for all the days ahead. Amen.